0: So, good evening. Good evening. evening. And welcome. This is our fourth series of discussions on the first Tuesday of the month, and um, it was um, asked by the committee that we do a reprise of the internationally known podcast, because it got picked up in India a couple of times. That's what I understand. (laughs) Of conversations with a rabbi and a priest, and we now have our own sign, so it's... uh, Which is wonderful. <laughs> Thanks to Jane Perini, that was a nice surprise. Um, Very cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll go there. Uh, so, for people who are here that aren't familiar about the relationship between myself and Rabbi Adler, uh, or our two congregations, is the relationship between St. Peter's by the Sea and Congregation Beth David goes back thirty-two years approximately, right. and uh, it started with. Was it Hank Anthony, was
1: it? Hank Anthony was first. Father
0: Hank Anthony, uh, back about three priests ago. And the congregations began a series of worshiping together once in the spring and once in the fall. And a wonderful relationship and friendship has developed over the years. And all of the clergy since Hank Anthony have honored and enjoyed being part of that relationship and have continued it. And then when I came here seven years ago picked up with it and discovered a wonderful friend and colleague. Same here. And um, Ethan and I have uh, had wonderful breakfast together. We've done a, we tried to start a Bible study, but then COVID hit, which didn't help. And we we got one session uh, in. We got one session in, that was about it. And then um, these conversations though pick up because every time the congregations have met, on a sunday or a friday evening we usually have some sort of conversation between the two of us with question and answers as part of that time together usually about an hour um here it was between services and i think when we started at um when i came to congregation beth david we did it just before the service and um we've gone from there both congregations have enjoyed it so we're looking forward tonight our conversation is about finding god in the midst of calamity and um, before i get started let ethan just have a chance to introduce himself as well and say a few words and then i'll get our conversation
1: going terrific i'm ethan adler i'm a rabbi of congregation beth david just up up the road a little bit <clears throat> and i have we as a congregation have really enjoyed the close camaraderie that we have congregation to congregation Priest or rabbi, um, and every time we get together, <clears throat> excuse me, every time we come to certain discussions, the more we discover that we have so much alike. That even though we may have different paths, we all all lead to the same place, which is an understanding of God and and uh, acknowledging the power of God in our everyday life, and uh, that uh, has been a wonderful journey for us and hope to continue for many years.
0: May God so bless that. There you go. <clears throat> so our topic tonight is finding God in the midst of calamity. And I was thinking about that over the last couple of weeks and trying to figure out why it is that we find ourselves at a loss when calamity strikes. Now. I am a near extinct reality, and that means I was born actually as part of the Episcopal Church. Most people today join the Episcopal Church from another denomination. And if you ever poll most congregations, rarely do you find more than two or three members who are actually part of the Episcopal Church or were born into it. So I was born and baptized in the Episcopal Church and grew up within it. And for most of my youth, learning about God and Jesus came out of Sunday school and it was all just so rosy. Jesus was this really kind of gentle, good-looking guy with brown hair and blue eyes and Mary was always so clean and tidy and everybody in our little Bible storybooks looked just so happy and well-fed and everything was so joyous. Which was nice when you were a child because it gives you that sense of safety and security and what you're told is that God will take care of you. He's your heavenly father. And just like my wonderful earthly father, he too loves me and takes care of me. I also learned something else about God, that God is omnipotent, all-knowing, and in charge, and has control over everything. As I got older, something unique happened kind of nationwide. And that was this spread of Pentecostalism, conservative Christianity. And I got engaged in that when I was in college. And I began hearing interesting things when I was in college about faith. If I believed in Jesus and truly believed, nothing bad would happen if I got sick and I really believed and prayed hard, God would heal me. If my parents or somebody I knew got cancer and I believed that they would be healed and I prayed hard enough, they would be healed. Another part of that teaching was that if I got sick, And I was a true believer that somewhere in Scripture, and there's always this reference to Scripture, but they never kind of told you where to find it. But in Scripture, it said that God has guaranteed us 75 years of life. And if that's not going to happen, then you just tell him that's what he owes you. And everything will work out. But when I went to seminary, I discovered a few other things. First of all, none of that stuff is actually in Scripture. I'm not sure where they were finding this stuff, but it wasn't there. The Jesus that I was following didn't have blue eyes. And most likely was not as good-looking as all those pictures depicted in him as. And Mary certainly wasn't as clean and wearing blue as the pictures depicted her either. But the other thing I discovered as I'm studying the writings of Paul in Acts of the Apostles is that 11 out of 12 apostles didn't have a good ending. St. Bartholomew got filleted. Paul got beheaded a lot of good Christian people faithful during the um, second and third century uh, wound up being entertainment for Rome. And went to the Lion's, not literally the Lion's Den, but were killed in Coliseums and all sorts of creative ways. I went to St. Lawrence University in Upper State New York and um, our yearbook was called the Gridiron. And the reason it was called the Gridiron is because St. Lawrence was actually martyred on a gridiron. And so this notion in modern-day life that somehow, if we are faithful and true and good, somehow guarantees us this easy life. Now, I have to say, I did give it a try last week, and I prayed hard, because Mega Millions is at $1.3 billion dollars. <laughs> And I kept telling God that I would be a good steward of that $1.3 billion and that I should get it. And I truly believed and visualized that I would win that $1.3 billion. As most of you can guess, I wasn't in Illinois last week at all. And I didn't win $1.3 billion worth of problems. Just because I told God and visualized and believed and prayed to God that I may want it, it didn't happen. And I know that's the story for most of our lives, is that we may pray to the cosmic Santa Claus that we call God. We may be faithful, but it doesn't mean that our lives will be easy and free of problems. So where and how does faith apply if it's not as my brother Um, used to say, well, you know, baptism was our get-out-of-hell-free card. If that's not what it's for, then what is it about when we enter into these times of tragedy and calamity? We've all been through it. We're all observing it and watching it. And so the question comes in as we raise, where is God in the midst of all of this?
1: Thank you. And one possible answer is we get there through faith. <clears throat> Recognizing that what is, what is faith? Faith is a belief in something that does not sound like it could ever happen. You, is very sick and you pray because you have faith that somehow the person can pull true. Um, <clears throat> there are challenges that come to our lives. There are challenges that comes to our country. Challenges that come to the world and we ask, where is God? And I think one, one journey towards that is this notion of faith, this belief that even though it doesn't look like it's going to happen, you still carry that, that belief. I saw a recent acrostic one day for the word faith, forwarding all issues to heaven. So um, <clears throat> that, is, that is to us what is, what is faith. But just like praying doesn't guarantee anything, faith doesn't guarantee. However, it gives you or gives people that sense of strength that says, even though Red Sox are losing 22 to nothing to the Yankees in the ninth (laughs) inning, somehow they're going to pull it through, Okay. Faith gives us the notion that the ultimate source of the universe is not necessarily the cause of issues or the solver of issues. Because if we only adopt that stand, every time God doesn't solve an issue, we'd say, well, this whole thing is fake. You know, a plane is going down. Why didn't God change the laws of gravity? He could do that easily, right? So we come to a, a different types of, of a notion that says God is not necessarily the source of evil, but God is the source of strength to be able to deal with the evil. So we lose a loved one, and we, we think we cannot go on. There is no way we can go on, no way we can continue. How do we go from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, week to week? Well, if we blame God and say, look, I prayed to God every day for the last two years to heal my whatever it is, and it didn't happen, so what's the use of God? But if you have a semblance of faith, you, you may understand that it was God that not only gave you the strength to survive those two years, but will give you the strength to continue and, and live on. Faith is something that, that gives us that extra energy, that extra buoyancy that says, even in the face of calamity, Somehow, somewhere, I find it beneficial and strengthening to believe that if not all of it can be solved, perhaps some pieces can be solved. Now, faith, faith is, uh, is an interesting word. Um, I don't think it's something you grab onto right away and say, OK, yesterday I had no faith, today I have faith. I don't think it works like that. I think it takes time to develop. And, and to understand. It's not a single moment. It sort of evolves. When you come to a point that says, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that faith, because what else am I going to hold on to? Faith provides a path for us, a path for us to find, to find things, to find meaning. Look, if I'm faced with some challenge, all right, and I'm challenged. I don't have to have faith. But if I have faith, it gives me that extra, that extra boost. But faith has to be real. Faith, I'm reminded of a story of a small village facing incredible drought. And one day the preacher says, I want everybody to come to, to, to our little church. We're all gonna pray. We're gonna pray for rain. But only come if you have faith. If you have true faith, I want you to be there. If you're like so-so on, on, you know, um, <clears throat> on the edge, you're not really sure, stay home. Because we want full faith prayer, because we need this rain. So as people walked in, he would say, do you have faith? Yes, I do. Do you have faith? Yes, I do. Well, they all sat down, and they prayed for like an hour and a half. And he says, well, we've done all the best we could. All of you said you have faith. And he said, yes, we do. All of you said you have faith that through prayer we can bring rain. And they said, yes, we do. Then he looked around and said, why did only two of you bring an umbrella? <laughs> so faith has to be, faith has to be real. Um, <clears throat> there is a, a song that is sung, um, somewhat Holocaust related, but not necessarily so. And it's called Anima. I'm not going to sing it. Anima Amin, I believe. And the two lines really speak a lot about faith. He says, I believe with true faith in the coming of the Messiah. I believe in true faith that the Messiah, whoever he or she or it is, will come and the world will become like heaven. But the second line says, even though the Messiah tarries, even though he's not here yet, I still believe, I still believe. So to me, faith is something that gives you strength. It doesn't cost anything, but you really gotta truly believe it. Um, The prophet Jeremiah offered us a lot of interesting, I'll just read you a couple of verses from the prophet Jeremiah. He witnessed the destruction of the temple Now at one point, the temple in Jerusalem built by Solomon was the envy of the world, beautiful temple. People would go there all the time, it was great. And then about 200 years later, the Assyrians came in from the Northeast and destroyed the country, destroyed the temple. A lot of people were killed, people were taken into exile. It was just a horrible thing. And Jeremiah, he witnessed that. He was a prophet, he witnessed it. And. He's believed, even after all that, here's what he said. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And he also said, hear me, heal me, O Lord, and let me be healed, save me, and let me be saved, for you are my glory. And I'll finish with this and return back. Elie Wiesel, famous Holocaust writer, survived the Holocaust. Many of you have written many of his books, maybe you've heard of him. Somebody said to him, how can you have faith in God after the Holocaust? After you've seen the worst depravity that you could ever imagine? After you've seen human beings behave like animals? Oh no, no, worse. Worse than animals. You've seen that. You've seen it happen to your family, to your friends, to your people. How can you still believe? And his response is overpowering, I think. He says, humans must have faith in something after the Holocaust, what could you have faith in other than God? Not the government, not the military, not the industry. The only thing that's left to have faith in is in God.
0: Let that sit for a minute. Because I think that gets to the crux of part of what our struggles are with god is that we fail to realize that our human institutions aren't perfect and as a christian people we strongly emphasize for the apostle paul that god gave humanity free will many people have heard me talk about in the garden of eden god creates humanity Uh, he makes them perfect in his image and also gives them the freedom to love him freely. And one of the conversations that Radline had prior to um, this evening is how much damage one person can do, that doesn't choose to love God, that doesn't choose to follow God. And we see that time in and t- time and time again throughout history, we're seeing it today. We've got one person who has decided that the way the balance of the world is isn't good enough, feels threatened, and wants more power, and we see the devastation going on uh, in Eastern Europe today. One man can wreak that much devastation. One man who has too much power and not enough love can threaten a whole world order. But one man, one human being can choose to do the opposite. And as we look at the calamities going on in the Ukraine today, which is absolute atrocity, what's happening around that situation, which is there are so many who are trying to find ways of, without violence, putting pressure on Putin to put an end to this basic um, atrocity um, and genocide of the Ukrainian people as they're beginning to say. And that plays into one of the things that I've talked with so many people about is where do we find God in the midst of calamity or in the midst of bad things? And I came up with this um, about 30 years ago. I was working at Long Lane School in Middletown, Connecticut. And if you've Don't know what that is, which most of us in Rhode Island probably don't. It's the children's version of the ACI in Connecticut. And there I was working as a student chaplain and meeting so many young people whose lives had horrible beginnings. Uh, Neglect, abuse of all kinds. And of course, they acted out violently and inappropriately and found themselves incarcerated. And in the midst of that, I had to ask God, where are you in these kids' lives? Because here I was, this very fortunate individual. I had a Yale degree, I had a St. Lawrence degree, I grew up very comfortably and safe in a very nice upper middle class home, and these things did not exist in my neighborhood. But there were over 200 young people incarcerated, all of whom stories kind of followed the same themes how had God, or why did God abandon these kids? And how did I get so lucky to have found God and have God there for me in terms of the lottery of my family? And I remember through that summer, one of my prayers was very much that, is God, where are you, and why have you abandoned them? And towards summer end, it dawned on me, look around. I'm all over the place." And what I realized God was telling me is God was present in almost all the line staff people, those who took direct care of those kids, because they absolutely loved those kids. They looked after them, they took care of them, they provided them to make sure they had food when it was time, and. follow the line, and they really were there for them. The depth of their care was huge. And I began to realize that, to my surprise, I was part of God being present to them. It wasn't a great gift, but somehow, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, God had sent me there for that summer. And for the 10 years I worked in children's protection in Connecticut, I kept realizing in all the darkness that I saw, God kept sending in almost an army of people, between foster parents, DCF workers, um, facility workers for the residential facilities, where these kids, if they weren't finding love and care in their biological homes, God was providing through all of us. It wasn't the best substitute. And for one kid to whom I was the parent at 27, 28, it's like, it's a poor substitute. But there was God. So I often tell people, when you're in the midst of calamity, one of our problems is we look into that heart of darkness. God isn't in the darkness. I tell people to look up. Just like the sun coming over the horizon to break the darkness of night, the light of God shines in from the edges, and oftentimes shines in through others who are working on God's behalf to care and lift us up in our times of darkness and calamity. I see that going on in Europe today. I see that often happening here in day-to-day life. So where is God? God is within us, those who choose to follow and love. In Christianity, we say we believe in an incarnate God. That's Jesus of Nazareth. What that incarnate God is today is incarnate that, he, that God resides still on this earth in terms of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is made up of those who are part of the church, the followers, those who choose to act as conduits. It is through us that God continues to be present even in the hardest of times of calamity.
1: Faith gives us, gives our perception a lift. Many times we see things, we don't really, we think we understand, then we realize we don't. And we see God working in mysterious ways, in ways in which we do not understand, such as the stories you are told. I'm going to read you just... A small, very, very, very small article. A gal named Corey Ten Bloom. She was in a concentration camp during World War II and experienced things we can't even imagine. Yet, she held on to her faith and she sometimes led worship services within the barrack. A barrack that was infested with fleas. The flea bites were very painful And she couldn't understand why the Lord allowed that. After all, I'm gathering people to pray. Why infest us with fleas? I mean, it doesn't seem right. Many years later, after she was able to be released from the Holocaust, she learned that the guards did not interrupt their worship services because they were afraid of the fleas. So, in that sense, she just didn't quite, quite understand. I mean, faith, faith is with us even at the most critical times. I remember a story, you may have heard the story before of a, a couple that goes in, on a cruise ship. Something happens, a cruise ship breaks up, and there they are, they find themselves in the middle of the night, both he and, her, he and his wife are holding on to a wooden plank, middle of the night. And she says, oh my God, this is it, it's over. She says, honey, you gotta have faith, they're gonna find us. She says, look, it's the middle of the night, nobody knows we're here, I don't know how many sharks are already at our feet, I don't know what's gonna happen. He says, honey, you need to have faith, that it'll work out. She says, I understand, I understand you, we're like moments away from death and you still have, how can you have such faith? And he says, well, do you remember where we were Friday night? Or Sunday morning, we'll say that way. Yes, we were in church, and what did we do in church? She says we prayed, and what else did you do? Did we do? And she says, Well, I remember. I guess we pledged ten million dollars to the church, and he said, Don't worry, they'll find us. <laughs> 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 so faith, faith, faith is kind of important. Let Let's um, Let's see what other people have said about faith. I'll just have a few. Plato, of course we know, we know him. He said, if we are twice armed, we are twice armed if we fight with faith. Faith gives us that extra strength. Susan Taylor, who was editor-in-chief of Essence said the following, seeds of faith are always within us, as you mentioned, but sometimes it takes a crisis to nourish nourish and encourage that faith. So sometimes it takes, takes something significant to get the, the faith seeds working. And um, Henry Wood Beecher, who was an American congregational minister, said, every tomorrow has two handles. We can take hold of it with the handles of anxiety, or we can take hold of it as in, on the handle of faith. So I think what it also comes down to is that we, we have a choice. And the choice that we have is that we want to develop and encourage and nourish that faith so when things happen in the world, when it looks like there's just no tomorrow, um, that, that notion of faith really, really gives us a lot of strength. I recall the words of a very religious plastic surgeon who said, at one time or another, we all need a faith lift. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. But
2: we do. <laughs> I'm
1: done.
0: <Okay. laughs> it's a hard one to follow. 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 Well, I like the idea of the faith lift though, <laughs> because I think we all, it's part of what we gather in community for, right. is a weekly faith lift. Right. Because together, as a community, we support one another through the hard times, and remind each other that we're not alone in it. I think that's one of the glorious things about uh, being part of a faith community, is people who share our values, who understand that which we worship, uh, are able to support us and be there beside us uh, in our darkest times, and help and basically hold our hands through it. And that's really what faith community is about, I was also thinking as you're talking about, um, last month we had Dr. Jean Miller, she's a thanatologist. Uh, and she talked about one of the issues of faith, especially among those who are dying, is that faith gives us hope in something greater and beyond us. And she says, in people who are facing terminal diseases, I think she said, is that if they can hold on to and see that, their journey. Um, is that much lighter. And that reminds me of something that one of my professors wrote not too long ago and published, is that we as Americans lack something we call religious imagination. And what religious imagination is, is the understanding that things on this earth can be so much worse than they are, but they can also be so much better. And so part of where faith and where God is in the midst of calamity is the reminder, if we can get out of that short-term, immediate reality, you know that God works long-term? What does the psalmist say? Uh, A thousand years is but a day in Mm -hmm. his time. Mm -hmm. And if we realize that God works long-term, and that we're something harder than this moment in this space and that this can and truly get better. And I think the greatest tenet of our faith is part of our faith is that there is something better and greater on the horizon in this world and this life and this earth. We look at it in terms of the second coming and the restoration of the new Jerusalem and God's kingdom on earth in which God prevails. If we can carry that sense of vision in our hearts as we go through darkness, somehow that lets us know that God is there. God will prevail. Just like growing up, there was a poster in um, I think it was my 8th grade English teacher's classroom, and there was a cat hanging onto a stick, and it was like stretched out, and the face was like horrified, and I said, just hang in there. I think really it's hang in there, uh, God is coming. Things will turn around. Life will be restored. That instills hope. And it actually brings light into our own darknesses as we're going through them at the time.
1: I think if we have the ability to perceive beyond what is seen, I think that can also engender, engender faith. Because so many times we, we see things we don't really Understand, and so we say, "Oh, you know, God is absent, or God is useless, or whatever," because we don't really understand the end times. I was talking with a very learned and wise rabbi the other day. When I say the other day, I mean like 30 years ago.
0: (laughs) Oh, I thought you were just talking to the mirror.
1: Yeah, (laughs) right. And we're talking about this. I don't understand. I said, how, "How?" even even a baby born with an extra toe, which is not a terrible big thing, still is like, why? Why did this happen? And he said to me, I want you to imagine that you're passed on, and now you're sitting in a big hall, and God says, I've videotaped your entire life. Everything that happened to you. Everything, everybody you came across, all the good things, all the bad things. I videotaped it, and I'm going to show it to you. And you'll be able to see it from start to finish. And I'm also going to explain why certain things happened. Are you going to reject what God said, or are you going to say, oh, I see. I, I understand now. I understand. And and it might be true. I hope not to find out for a long time. But um, perception, I think faith and perception sort of go go hand in hand. I'm reminded of a story of a father he's walking with his six, seven-year-old daughter. And they're in a park somewhere, and they're having a good time. And uh, all of a sudden, the daughter notices a vendor, and he's selling apples. She says, Daddy, can I have an apple? He said, sure. So he walked over, and he bought two. He gave her one, and then she grabbed the other from him two apples in her hand and all of a sudden his mind started to wonder like what's going on she takes a bite out of one and then she takes a bite out of the other and he's looking at her saying boy did I miss the boat on teaching her about sharing and about being kind to people and not being selfish oh my god this is terrible right and a couple of seconds later she holds up one of the apples and says Daddy, you take this one. It's juicier. Right. So our perception, I think, relegates, relegates our faith. And um, in our tradition, we go back to the Psalms, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, people who have witnessed a lot of terrible things and somehow maintain, maintain their faith. I have relatives who have gone through the worst of the Holocaust and still observe a very ritualistic Judaism. They still go to temple, they observe the Sabbath rules, the kosher rules. They just, they just never lost their faith, just held on to it. If I may, I'd like to read part of uh, Psalm 27, which is a great, if, if you're ever, ever sort of in need of a, little, of a little jump of faith, this Psalm 27 is really great. I'm just gonna read, Um, a few verses of it, it's a lot, lot larger than it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will humble, stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear, the war break out against me, even then I will remain confident. For in the days of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. Though others may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord yet in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord." And I think that those words uh, give me a tremendous amount of strength to be able to, to face things. Um, and, and, and faith in the universe, faith in ourselves, um, can really, really be, again, as I said, a stronghold. 25 years ago, almost to the day, my first wife passed away. She struggled with asthma all her life, and on this particular night at 8.30, she was fine, and by 10 o'clock, she was gone. So there I am with my two kids in the hospital saying, how the heck am I going to get through this? How, how are we going to find a path to get get by this because we couldn't think of anything worse that could happen to us. So we were at Miriam Hospital, we went down to the chapel and there was nobody else there and we, we just prayed. We prayed, we cried, we cried, we prayed. And it wasn't an angry prayer. I never really came up with the question of why God? Why did this happen? because I knew internally there was no answer. It happened. So instead of asking why, I began to ask how. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to give my daughters enough strength to get by? How could it be that someday I may still find joy in life knowing that the love of my life was gone? And I have to be honest with you, I I really had a lot of faith and I put a lot of it into this faith that somehow, some way we would survive, we would find a way to, to continue with life, and that we would again find happiness, which, which we did, which we did. And but there right in the chapel, is where I, I really understood really understood what faith was all about.
0: So I think our words tonight, or at least um, from my side, I think from yours as well is. Faith in God is not the ticket out of hardship in life. It is, however, that support that gives us hope that allows us to look for light in the midst of darkness and know that it's going to be there. I was thinking as you were speaking that hardship is part of life on this world. It is the human condition. It is... Unfortunately, we create it, we make it happen, and sadly, some suffer for others' behaviors, life isn't fair. But hope is found with God through our faith and trust in God. And I think as you put together so beautifully in your story about your first wife's death and your working through it, when we're able to say, but I have faith that God will carry me through this darkness and back into the light. That is what our faith is about, hope. The God of hope that created us, that sustains us, and continues to love us.
1: The 23rd Psalm, as many of you know, which is read during uh, funerals, there's a line in there that says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there will fear no evil. And it's very interesting that the psalmist used the word walk. It doesn't say I stand. I am in the darkness. I walk through. Which gives us the faith that when we are in the darkness, we can walk through it and eventually go into the light. Amen. Amen. So uh, I, I, I can close whatever with this. Um, Little girl goes to her mom and says, "Mom, for my birthday I want a bicycle." Mom says, "Well, we don't have a lot of money." She says, "Well, it's going to be a month. My birthday is a month from now. So every night I'm going to, before I go to sleep, I'm going to pray to God to give me, give me a bicycle." And her mother doesn't want to disappoint her, but she also wants to be a little realistic, and she says, "Well, yeah, that's a good idea. Go ahead." Well, her birthday comes. And she says to her daughter, I guess, God didn't give you your bicycle. And her answer, I think, summarizes all of us. Her answer was, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. It will be there.
0: So that's sort of the conclusion of our remarks this evening. But I do want to open up the floor for questions for us. Uh, I do ask people to use this. I call it the Oprah mic. Bring it right up into the face so that we can hear you. Uh, and I do want people to know that our recording is going, if that makes you nervous. Uh, we do hope to put this up on our podcast site, which is found on Spotify and Apple Podcasting, uh, as well as multiple others. So the uh, floor is open for questions.
1: And or comments. Oh, sorry, over here.
2: I'd be interested to, to um, get a better understanding of the um, value of faith because faith seems to come to you.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with times that we search. When we search, when we feel weak, when we feel abandoned. Again, if I'm watching the Red Sox and it's, it's, it's the ninth inning and they're up by 20 runs, it doesn't call on me to have any faith, unless they're playing the Yankees, then you've got a lot of faith. <laughs> but if it's a close game and it's an important game, do I have faith in the Red Sox to pull it through? Yes. So um, I think faith can become its strongest when the challenges are at their greatest.
0: i say on the the <laughs> <laughs> I just want to add to that a little bit, because I think, especially here in the United States, we have this false sense of security. I mean, we go to the store, and the shelves are, for the most part, heavy laden. Uh, we turn on the tap in our house and the water comes out of it. Uh, I flip a switch and the air is cooled or heated to keep me comfortable. And we feel like we have this sense of great control over our lives. When calamity happens, or like the pandemic, and all of a sudden our world gets shaken, we realize that we're not on a, not as a firm a foundation as we think we are. And in, that mo- in those moments of uncertainty, we seek that... Uh, stronghold in the storm and more often than not the only stronghold that's there is god because everything else is shaking beneath you i think that's why because we don't have that awareness in good times that we're on shaky ground
2: Amen. Stock and a love, a, a strong love that we had kind of let go of for a while. So, and she, you know, she healed and she's fine. But mm-hmm. it was a calamity at the time. And something good, some light did come out of it. So you can call that faith. You can call that in God or just seeing the light.
0: The light in the midst of the darkness. Uh, where that... Where I got that image from is when a friend of ours lost her husband to cancer and she I was going through the receiving line and she pulled me aside and said my prayers weren't answered he didn't heal him you know, where is God and I wrote back to her she was the head of a dance studio that our kids went to and I said look at all those children that surrounded you and surround you and all those parents and all those meals that came in and realize yes it's hard you lost your husband but God hasn't abandoned you. All those kids that smile and give you hugs every week and carry you through and all those parents who loved you, that's where God is right now. Look to that light.
1: Sometimes we don't see the gift of God when we're faced with stressful situation. I recall a served this high-powered businessman who's late for a meeting and driving around the parking lot. He can't find anything. He says, God, please I need, I need a pocket spot, I'm late already. God, please help me. Then he sees one open, he says, oh God, never mind, I found one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other, other quite yes?
0: Behind, behind you is Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Liz to Liz. Liz to Liz. I was just thinking follow what the person had to say.
1: I think faith has to be found. I don't think you can teach anybody faith, and I think it's just it's it's a product of, of living a certain way. My grandmother could take a rotten peach and find at least one slice; they'll be okay, you know. So in calamity, she could always find something something that was good. Um, it it's a perception that opens our eyes that says there's more to there's more to this universe than what we can see. There really is a lot more. We just can't take it the way, you know, take it for granted the way it is. Um, and so faith, again, gives us that opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not really sure why this happened, but I need to find a way to survive it. And one way to survive it is, is to nourish my sense of faith that says somehow, in some way, there is goodness in this. And I can, I can very quickly go back to the story of my wife. What, what she died from was an asthma attack that just happened. It, like I said, 8 o'clock, she was fine. 8.30, she started having issues. And by 10, she was gone. Well, there's nothing good about death, of course. But what was good about it is that it happened when she was home. She was not driving in the middle of the day, <laughs> heaven forbid, hitting somebody or having my kids in the car. As bad as it was, it could have been a ton worse. So nothing I can prove, but I have faith that somehow, somehow if God knew this was gonna happen, maybe he or she had had a hand in it that said, I'm gonna find that, that good piece of peach.
0: Time for one more question. So I got one
1: in the back. Well, I don't mean to
0: take the last one. I'll, well, see, we'll see how long yours takes, and we'll go to the next one from there. Because I think some people are getting ready to say, uh, we need some cushions here.
2: I, I have more comment than a
1: question. When I came here, I thought-
0: Very, I didn't I list very encouraged. Okay,
2: I, I, I find that it's, it, it fits me better. Mm-hmm. I didn't,
0: just. One more back, and we got there. one more way in the back. I do not. First of all, for both of you, thank you so much for putting on a very nice program, very enlightening. And I appreciate both of your points leading to the same thing, finding things at God. My second comment is to you, In anticipation of your coming to our church, Father Craig has announced during the announcement portion of our masses
2: that you will come with some jokes. Indeed you have. You didn't disappoint. That you listen
0: well to your mother, because your mother used
2: to say, a little bit of sugar will help the medicine go down. There you and go. From that you develop your philosophy. A few good jokes help
0: the religious blessing
1: go down. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Good faith.
0: So before we break for refreshments which will be taking place in the parish hall right through this door rabbi will you close us with prayer
1: sure baruch atah blessed are you lord our god king of the universe who has given us the kind of life that we want and has kept us strong kept us stable and brought us brought us to this wonderful meeting, wonderful gathering of people of God, and to that we all say amen. amen. By the way, I may, may wanna just add one more thing. The Hebrew word amen, 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 means I believe. So if somebody says something and you say amen, it means you believe. The Hebrew word for faith is emunah, Same, same root. Same root for I believe to faith, which means, the only possible way to get to faith is by believing it. And to that, we'll say, Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. And again, there are refreshments out in the parish hall. Please join us for a little bit. Of, um, we have water, lemonade, and I did see some sugar to help the conversation go down. <laughs>